Welcome back to this week's episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. I'm your non-diet dietitian, trainer, and host Katie, and this is episode 256. Now today I'm excited for another just raw chat with super smart women. Today you get to listen to a conversation that I had with my friend, fellow colleague, Caitlin Johnson. Caitlin is a registered dietitian with advanced training in functional medicine and women's herbalism. She is the heart behind her company, PCOS Fertility Nutrition, and she actually is a podcaster as well. Her podcast is called Food Freedom and Fertility Podcast. She is somebody who struggled herself with infertility and is now a mother to three beautiful children. I really think that you're just going to love her perspective. Again, she's just another super smart dietitian who is empowering women with their health. And I love her approach because while yes, she's got that functional medicine background, she educates in such a way with such empathy that feels really accessible for somebody who is also trying to heal the relationship with food. So Caitlin really is, as she says, a born again believer. She prays for each of her clients and has helped many hundreds of couples become parents. Now, today we're not just talking about fertility, but we are talking about Caitlin's story and hormones and just, again, helping you to understand your body a little bit better. We have some conversations about navigating a healthcare situation, and I just think you're going to leave today's episode feeling, I I don't think, I know you're going to leave today's episode feeling just really empowered and inspired. And again, she's just like one of those gals that you could chat with forever. And we actually met through, we'll we'll talk a little bit about how we met in our story, but you know, you just find those people in life that you just stay connected to because you just vibe with them. And Caitlin is one of those. So let's get onto the show. P.S. If you like today's episode, don't forget to hit that follow button, share it with a friend and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. All right. Back to the show. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour, a podcast about all things nutrition, fitness, and life in your 20s and 30s, all from a non-diet lens. I'm your host, Katie Hake, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified personal trainer. Join me here every week as I talk with interesting people and experts from all walks of life about their relationship with food and their bodies. I'll also share my experience working with clients in my private practice to help women find food freedom and body confidence. I'm on a mission to help you stop quantifying and start living. Learn to stop measuring your success by the scale and find your fears. Good morning, Caitlin. So happy to see you. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here. Um, Caitlin and I, I feel like we could talk and catch up for so long. So it's like, okay, we have to click record. We only have a limited amount of time. (laughs) Tell us, just tell our audience a little bit about you. You know, what is, yeah, who you are, what's your food story? How'd you become a dietitian? Yeah, that's always, it's always an interesting thing. Like what gravitates, what draws us in the gravity of being a dietitian. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, I grew up a girl who loved food and struggled with weight in my like early adolescence into my teens and loved really white food. Like I loved Mm. all the things that are white, potatoes, pasta, pancakes, pizza, you know, it's got cheese on top. (laughs) Didn't really like me, wouldn't touch a vegetable unless it was corn. And so to turn around and think that I'm a dietitian right now is kind of wild a little bit to me. If I look at like the canvas and the landscape of my entire life, but I watched my mom struggle with weight, do every diet, try every exercise. And I watched, I heard the stories. I'm the youngest. I watched and heard infertility stories in my immediate family, my mom, my sister, some aunts. And I was like, what is the deal with like, are we just like not made to have babies? Even though everybody goes on to have babies, it's a struggle and a heartache and difficult. And you know, by the time I was like 18 or 19, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I took a year off of in between high school and college, went and did a Christian leadership program with a Bible study group I was 
with at the time. And at that point, it was like the first time I was out of my house. I lived with four other girls. We took turns making dinner and I had to eat what got put on the table. <laughs> and so it expanded my repertoire yeah. a little bit. Like, oh, I actually do like Brussels sprouts when you cook them this way. I mm-hmm. actually do like, you know, baked chicken as long as it's seasoned. And it was a great, like, kind of expansion of food for me. And that year, I also decided I was going to run a marathon, a half marathon. Goal was eventually marathon, but I wanted to like running and I didn't like running. So I thought, great, (laughs) let's sign up for a half marathon, (laughs) right? So my girlfriend and I, that we lived together, we started training together and, you know, I couldn't run for two minutes at a time and built my way all the way up to being able to run 13 miles. And that was a huge accomplishment. But over the span of time training for the half marathon was wasn't eating terrible. I wasn't eating great. I gained like 60 pounds and it was over like a two to three month period. Wow. And it just didn't make sense. We were running like 20 miles a week. The other thing that had happened was I had gone off birth control mm. in that period of time. So I went home for the summer and went and saw my family doctor and it kind of explained what was going on. And was concerned about all this weight gain with exercise, like what it was like opposite of what I expected, right? Yeah. Not that you were running for weight loss, but it was just like that you're moving more, you're eating differently. That seems like a normal byproduct. Yeah. Yeah. Why did this happen to me um, when I'm like honestly leading a much healthier lifestyle? I'm eating more well rounded and, and more things and not eating a lot more bulk, like not a lot more quantity. And I'm, you know, had to have been burning what might've equated to like losing three to four pounds a month at least. Mm -hmm. And I was gaining like 20 pounds a month. Like that just did not make Mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. So we ran some hormone panels. She sent me to an OB. I had an ultrasound same day. They like wheeled the ultrasound card in, made me put on that like paper, you know, gonna have a date with Wanda at my crotch. (laughs) What was, what was going on through your head in that moment? Like, did you have any idea? I didn't know what they were really looking for. I didn't get it, but I wanted answers. So I was like, great. You want to do an ultrasound? Let's do it. Like Mm -hmm. this has to do with hormone. It had to be something more than just calories in calories out. There had to be hormones or something. So it made sense when she was like, go see an OB. I want to test you for PCOS. So The doctor that I saw there had very poor bedside manner and he came in and said the ultrasound tech left. When you get an ultrasound for them looking at your ovaries when you're not pregnant, it's an intravaginal ultrasound. It's not like on your belly, like you think about, you see in movies when people are looking at babies in your belly. So it was like, you know, a different experience to have this huge probe put up my lady parts (laughs) and, um, Then I'm still in this like crinkly paper, you know, robe thing. When the doctor comes back in, he says, I was right. You have PCOS. And I was like, okay, first of all, my other doctor was right, but we won't get into (laughs) patronizing. Yeah, sure. Um, And I was like, okay, well, what's PCOS? And I'd never heard of it before. And he said, it's the number one reason in America, women can't have babies. Wow. Like mic drop, right? Like in the movie, the music changes, like <laughs> Bridget Jones goes and gets donuts and walks away crying because she just gets told she's never going to have children. You yeah. know, like that's not what it is, actually. That's a statistic, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. That, that says nothing about the hormone complexities, the metabolic complexities, why I gained 60 pounds in two to three months while I was running, how coming off birth control had an effect in all of this. Like, I'd been put on birth control for irregular cycles and acne. So it wasn't surprising, actually, the more I learned that like, okay, things are starting to fit together. And I'll explain that in a second if you want. But that was definitely like a turning point in my life where I was like, okay, so maybe this is why it was hard for mom to have babies. Maybe this is why my sister's struggling. Maybe this is, you know, it was like, okay, well, maybe there's this familial thing that we all have that nobody had a really great diagnosis for. That was that was going to be my question. Was anyone in your family diagnosed at this not, point? Not to date. And my mom is not diagnosed. There's kind of like a medical dark hole when we talk about PCOS beyond menopause. 
because the diagnosis criteria, so how you get this diagnosis is you have two of three things going on and you can have any of the two of the three. You can have multiple different kinds of combinations. You can also have three of three, which I did. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is an ultrasound that shows polycystic ovaries. So like, it looks like there's like a string of pearls on your ovary, on the outside of your ovary. What that basically means is these are your follicles that are kind of over a maturing process are growing and getting ready to be the egg to be ovulated. Mm-hmm. And they're stuck in the like early teenage years, let's say. They're not big enough. They're not progressing past puberty. It's not working for some reason. Yeah. There's a lot of hormonal complexity to why it's not working, but essentially like they get stalled out and they stay there for a while. And so it's easy to see them on an ultrasound. It's very quick to diagnose. It's different than like an ovarian cyst that grows that would rupture and be really painful. I've had one of those. Not fun. Not fun (laughs) at all. And a lot of people with PCOS also have that and think it's because of their PCOS and that's not true. Hmm. Um, But so this multiple appearance of cysts or like immature follicles on your ovary The second thing would be signs or lab work that confirms high levels of androgens, which is a fancy way of saying male hormones. Mm -hmm. Male hormones is a little bit of a misnomer because it's not, women have them too in normal amounts. It's no problem. When they're in higher amounts, it becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. You don't want no testosterone. You'd have no libido. You don't want no testosterone. You wouldn't be able to gain muscle. Mm -hmm. You need some level of it, but too much of it and you grow a beard too much of it. And you lose your hair, like male pattern baldness too much of it. And it stops you from ovulating, which is a lot of the reason why he stated that statistic to me is your follicles are struggling to grow. They can't mature to the point of ovulation. You don't ovulate. You don't have a cycle. Mm. So, um, it's, you don't can't get pregnant without an egg. You need both buddy. Like you need an egg and sperm. So signs or lab work of hyperandrogenism. So the signs could then be what I just mentioned, your hair falling out, growing male patterned hair growth, like on were, your chin or on were your you nipples. having any of those oh, like, definitely. physical symptoms? Yeah. I'd ne- I've never really struggled with hair loss. I thank God for that because that's a really difficult one for women um, to manage. And there are other reasons why you can lose your hair. Right. So actually PCOS is also kind of a diagnosis of exclusion. Like you can lose your hair because of a thyroid disorder or under eating mm-hmm. or iron deficiency. So like these Which, things should be looked into to rule out that yeah. being the cause in it, or is it PCOS? Right. And you mentioned too, that like under eating, which I could see so common happening in our listeners mm-hmm. of, you know, I had imagined somebody signing up for marathon and, and starting to gain weight and then in, in turn restricting. Hair. Yes. Oh, oh my god, Really restricting. And then <laughs> hair well, well, right. A whole hormone mess. Well, in the, the typical diagnosis and treatment protocol for PCOS is, okay, so are you trying to get pregnant now? No. Okay. Go on birth control. They might offer you metformin, which helps manage insulin resistance and PCOS. Mm -hmm. And then they tell you to lose weight. Mm. So somebody who may have spent their whole life struggling with weight cycling then comes to this diagnosis and potentially maybe they're there because they want to get pregnant and they get told you got to lose 20 pounds for me to offer you any medication for you to go on to IUI or IVF for you to ovulate naturally and have a chance at doing this naturally. And so whatever disordered eating patterns that may have been there their entire life for trying to be at a societally driven vanity metric of a certain weight or look, they then restrict even further. And so oftentimes I actually see layered in maybe PCOS is there, but there's also under eating or there's also over exercising so that you can eat at a certain level. I see that a lot actually. Yeah. Uh, it's so, it's so sad and so, so much more complex. So, okay. So you got this diagnosis and let me finish one more thought. So, okay. So you need two of three, the polycystic ovaries signs or signs or lab work of hyperandrogenism. And then the third is you also need to either experience oligo or anovulation, which is just a fancy way of saying you're ovulating very regularly or you're not ovulating at all. Mm. So you can see that 
two of the three markers here very closely relate to reproductive health, right? Like we're talking about your ovaries, we're talking about ovulation, and then we're talking about all over symptoms of male hormones. So this kind of entire diagnosis for many years has been treated as a reproductive issue, Mm. but there are metabolic complexities comorbidities, insulin resistance is a huge driver of why you have high levels of testosterone and why this all happens. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes like the treatment for it is go on birth control, lose weight, right. Or lose weight and then come back for us to help you ovulate. And we're ignoring the fact that you're twice as likely to develop cardiovascular disease. You're 6.4 times as likely to develop type two diabetes. You are like, I think three times as likely to develop fatty liver disease. So all these actual metabolic concerns that could affect both your quality of life or lifespan, since it's being treated more like a reproductive disorder are completely not even discussed typically. So the doctor basically said to me, like, here's birth control. We'll put you back on it. You need to go lose the 60 pounds you gained, but no direction as to how I should do that. (laughs) Here's a referral to a dietitian, you know, like nothing. So, you know, the pull to dietetics was, I can't live my life like this. I want to be a mom someday. I can't be 60 pounds overweight and live the life that I want to live. Why? Because I saw it in my mom, you know, like I saw this kind of written story in front of me and I didn't want that future. Yeah. I didn't want my knees to hurt. I didn't want back problems. I didn't want plantar fasciitis. Like all these things I saw her struggle with. That was my drive to not want to carry extra weight. (laughs) Wasn't even necessarily about vanity. It was like, I want to be able to have kids someday. Apparently this weight is standing in the way of that. Yeah. And that message drilled in clearly by Mm -hmm. your physician. Doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the next like 10 years of my life, there was trauma and life and, you know, like my parents lost their house. It lost a lot of money. There was college fund that no longer existed. So my whole world kind of just like crashed in front of me, stress and trauma mm. and in the midst of like this diagnosis. And so I was like, okay, I have to, I have, I like dug deep and I really, you know, not that I wanted any of those hard things to happen, but I'm thankful for them because it built in me this like work ethic. I worked through school. I went to community college. I went to a state school and worked full-time while doing it, trying to manage my hormones. And all of these things I think really set me up for being confident and starting a private practice, frankly. Yeah. Resilient, resiliency. Yeah. So that I could say, I don't want to treat PCOS the way that I see the medical community treating it because it's not working and we need to do it differently. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, school was not like four years and then head off to my internship. It was like an eight year process to put myself through school. And I learned a lot along the way. I went to acupuncturists, went to naturopathic doctors, found functional OBs and still was struggling to find answers. I looked up every PCOS article I could ever find and anything that related to hormones and food and cycling. And I had my PCOS really well managed by the time I was ready to have children. And we still struggled for almost three years to conceive. And so that really helped me kind of pigeonhole into not just treating PCOS, but treating specifically fertility with PCOS. So funny, it's like, it's not just a reproductive disorder. And yet this is my passion is like PCOS should not be the reason anybody can't become a parent. You give me goosebumps because I think, I think so many people, whether PCOS or not can relate to that struggle of getting a diagnosis or getting a diagnosis and, and then just being told lose weight. That's it. That's the answer. When we know it's just so much more complex from an action standpoint, but also there's a lot of mental and emotional pieces that go with that as well. Oh my gosh. And specifically in this population. So you're struggling with weight, potentially you're struggling to ovulate potentially, but you also have these signs and symptoms that make you feel less of a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're growing hair on your neck and chin. You pluck hair off your nipples. You're losing your hair. 
you know, it's like all these things that should be a right of being a woman, like those long, beautiful locks mm-hmm. and their struggle beauty standards. Yeah. Yes. And so the mental health component of PCOS is really demanding to stay healthy, frankly. We're at a higher risk of anxiety. We're at a higher risk of depression. And of course, that's the case. Like There are hormonal pieces to that too. And there's nutritional um, strategies for some of those things, but some of it's just flat out hard. You know, and um, an interdisciplinary approach, like having all the help, the therapist and the doctor and the dietitian, like we all need to work together to help women manage this condition and feel, feel well. Yeah. I want to go back to a piece of your story that you mentioned, this issue with getting off birth control. Can you talk to our listeners about that? Because I mean, that is such a common prescription. That's something Mm -hmm. I was prescribed when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. I was on many rounds of Accutane. They're like, okay, by the way, you got to be on this birth control and this will fix your acne. And I had Mm -hmm. no, I'm still learning about women's health and hormonal health. And it's like, why didn't anybody tell me any of this? Oh my gosh. That is the sentence. That is the question. Women's health is if any of this was happening to a dude, let me tell you, how much money they put into Viagra every year. Like if any, (laughs) if a dude was like, Hey, I'm growing boobs, they'd be working on figuring it out. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, but we don't need to get into that too much. I (laughs) (laughs) I joke that if you have a vagina and you have a health problem, you will at some point be offered birth control. Doesn't matter if it's you're suffering from depression, here's some birth control. You have heavy bleeding, here's some birth control. You are struggling to get pregnant even, to get pregnant and you want to ovulate. Let's give you some birth control to reset those hormones before (laughs) you try again. Um, There's very, it's like lazy medicine. It's like, there's there's no digging to root causes. Mm -hmm. It's, and frankly, you know, it's not really the doctor's fault. They're not offered a lot of training and how to suss out. Like, is are you not making enough progesterone? Right. Are you making too many histamines? Like, they aren't taught these things. They're taught if there's this issue, here are these four medicines you can try. Yeah. Can you briefly explain for listeners what are they doing when they just say, okay, here's Here's birth some control. birth control. Like, like what's the why in yes. quotes here behind that, that intervention. Yeah. So even not just in PCOS, what birth control essentially does is it essentially kind of turns off your natural hormone production. I used to describe it as like, it's kind of tricking your body that you're pregnant so that you mm-hmm. can get pregnant. Mm-hmm. That's actually not as close to the statement as actually tricking your body, you're kind of in menopause. That's closer Mm -hmm. to what it's doing. It's essentially turning off your hormone production so that you don't ovulate, so that you don't make something called cervical mucus that helps sperm survive in your vagina, survive the pH, travel up through your cervix into your uterus. Um, So it shuts down ovulation. It shuts down your estrogen production. It shuts down your progesterone production because you're not ovulating. You don't ovulate, you never make progesterone. Okay. Like Mm -hmm. ovulation is the event that causes that hormone. So it's a very efficient way to, if you have a symptom that is rooted in some sort of hormonal imbalance, we can typically turn that symptom off if we turn the hormones off. Mm -hmm. Um, And it has this added wonderful benefit of if you're not ready to build a family, you don't have to on this. So it's (laughs) like a win-win in public health mindset because a lot of times, you know, pregnancy can happen because we're not teaching men and women Mm -hmm. things about fertility cycles and when you actually can get pregnant. We're not giving Uh, people the benefit of the doubt of giving them the true story that you only have four to five days in every menstrual cycle. You are fertile. It's not every day of your cycle. Especially if you're raised Christian background, Mm -hmm. right? Like (laughs) have sex, you get a baby, right? Like we're not talking about that. Yeah, That's the line. Yeah. My mom says she used to think kissing could get you pregnant. I believe it. (laughs) Yeah. So birth control is not evil. It's not a bad thing to take. I oftentimes recommend it depending on the 
situation and the context of somebody's life, what they're going through. You know, a lot of these symptoms are really hard to manage. Growing a beard sucks. Mm-hmm. Like those are the women that ended up in the circus, right? Like, yeah, struggling with weight is really hard. And birth control sometimes can help with that. What kind of blows my mind is that birth control is offered without other options being presented and without a thorough discussion of risks, side effects, mm-hmm. alternatives, the length of time that we know it's safe to be on it. Like you should really only be on birth control for 10 cumulative years of your life. Nobody told wow. me that at 16 when they offered I've never, it. To me. I never knew that. Wow. You can read it in almost every birth control pamphlet, right? That nobody <laughs> takes out and reads. That right? you need a magnifying glass yes. to look at. <laughs> yes. So this long. Yeah. If you're on social media, you see this huge push from a lot of wellness influencers that like they're not saying birth control is evil, but they're essentially saying birth control has all these issues with it. Yeah. I was just going to say that. I think that's a common message right now is like birth control is evil. So I I think I really appreciate you saying that. Actually, no, no, there's more to it. It has its place and its time. I've been on it. I went back on it at a different point in time, not right when the doctor said, go back on it. But there was a time where I was like managing a full-time job, going to school, stress was crazy. Symptoms were wild. And I was like, I need to go on birth control. Like I just can't handle this. Mm-hmm. But we're putting young teenagers on it. And then two or three months later, they're very depressed. It's a, it's a common side effect of birth control depression. But then what we offer is antidepressants rather than pulling back and going, okay, birth control may have not been a great fit for you right now. Mm-hmm. What other things can we do to manage your acne? What other things, what stones can we look under to see why your period isn't regular? It's actually very common for it to take most of your teenage years for your cycle to regulate. So having an irregular cycle in high school doesn't necessarily necessitate the birth control pill. Yeah. That's really interesting. And that's, that's helpful to know again, like when I was in high school, yeah, high school, I think it was the earliest. Yeah. Start was having issues with acne and it was, they just, so this was from the dermatologist throwing mm-hmm. just different topicals, different oral mm-hmm. You're on a lactone is a really common one. You name it, but on it. And then with the the Accutane, just on it for, but in my teenage brain, I just didn't want acne. I didn't care. I would do whatever. Didn't care the route. You tell me. And my mom didn't know. She didn't know. She said, oh, okay. That's what they say. But yeah, Mm -hmm. so interesting. And with specifically Accutane, so many side effects, so many horrible side effects. Your liver. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But nobody's given you that full conversation. Right. Right. You didn't get true informed consent. I can guarantee it. Yeah. So that's really my messaging about birth control. I think it's a very effective way to help Mm -hmm. you when you have PCOS or other things. Endometriosis, birth control can be a lifestyle. It can be the difference between you're a functioning human or not. But again, it's looking at all the pieces of the puzzle, not just this not one just, symptom yes. in this one moment of time. And I think for any medication, you should have a plan. Mm-hmm. Any medication, you have high blood pressure right now. They want to put you on something. What's the plan? Is the plan to be on this for the rest of my life? Is there a plan to look at like other reasons why perhaps I could have high blood pressure right now? Like my my mother just died and I I had to take a full-time job and I'm also going through, you know, I'm the executor of her will. Oh yeah. I'm sure your blood pressure went up. Yeah. Let's put you on some medication, keep you safe for right now. In two or three years from now, let's have another conversation about it. Like every medicine that you are ever prescribed or supplement, there mm-hmm. should be a thorough conversation of not just this is what it can do and how it's going to help you right now, but this is our plan for how long it's safe to be on it. Or is this something that you should potentially be on for the rest of your life? Oh my gosh. I do this with my parents. I do this with clients. I feel like I've had this conversation like, fairly so recently of like, so why are you, tell you what's this the proton end? pump inhibitor? Like yeah, what? And yes. they're like, wait, I don't, I don't know. They just said, and it's, it's start, I think empowering people to have the Unfortunately, a lot of times you have to be your own advocate. So empowering people to go, 
You do. Okay. What's the end goal? Ask the questions. What's mm-hmm. the long-term plan mm-hmm. in place? Like, a lot of times I see people struggling with chronic constipation. I look at their supplements. They're on a high dose iron. I'm like, so why are you taking this iron? Oh, I don't know. I started, my doctor told me to take it when I was 24. And this, I'm looking <laughs> at a 32 year old who's struggling to go poop. Iron makes it hard for you to go poop. And most people can't yes. get enough iron in their diet. So why are we still on it? Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. birth control should be it, that part of the conversation should be had when you're being prescribed something so that shuts down such a fundamental process in a female's body, mm-hmm. right? Like there are reasons you want to ovulate. There are reasons you want to create natural progesterone that have nothing to do with having a baby that have everything to do with your bone health when you're 70 and not needing a hip replacement that have everything to do with your breast cancer risk that mm-hmm. have everything to do with your risk of dementia. Like some of these hormones that we make, you want the natural version of as much as you can in your lifetime. You do not want a very close made in a laboratory, something similar, but it's not going to get the job done. It's like food, the same thing. It's like the same idea with food, right? right? Why would you take a, I don't know, B vitamin for your whole life when, when you could just not quite the same. Yeah. Right. When you could just eat a steak. Right. You know, twice a week. Yeah. Right. Like, yes. So, and so it's interesting when you're talking about the fertility world, this is a particular window of time in a woman's life that's very critical. Women have more critical windows in their lifespan in terms of their health than I would personally say men do. Puberty, Pregnancy, postpartum, and menopause are huge hormonal shifts that happen within your body. And some of these things happen more than once. You don't go through menopause more than once. You don't go through puberty more than once. But you could be pregnant four, six, eight times in your lifetime, like especially if you have, you struggle with pregnancy loss. So these periods of time are actually very critical for us to approach health because fertility really is an extension of health and the end goal of a pregnancy is a healthy family, not just a healthy baby, healthy mom and healthy baby. So we want to set you up for the most success. So talking about supplements or medications, sometimes you do want, you know, if we can get it with food, we want to get it with food, but we want some level of like a safety net underneath Mm -hmm. us to make sure baby's neural tube is going to develop the way it needs to, to make sure that their heart valves are going to develop the way it needs to, to give your child a chance of having a really well-working brain and higher IQ and a little, a little important. Yeah. Right. So (laughs) the other thing we also need is a mom that delivers a baby that has the best chance at transitioning into motherhood in the safest way. Um, Because Perry natal and postnatal mood disorders, like postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Can you tell anxiety. people peri, perinatal and what's that peri word So mean? that it means like around pregnancy. So the thing to know is actually that these mood disorders, which is anxiety, depression, there's others, but those are the two most common. Um, first of all, can happen to men too. They don't just happen to women, but it can happen during your pregnancy. It's not just after your pregnancy. So if you're pregnant and you're feeling like, man, the world is just caving in on me. I can't get out of bed in the morning. Every thought I have is about this baby growing inside of me dying. Those are not normal thoughts. A little bit of that is normal. Like I'm tired when I'm pregnant, normal. Yeah. Um, the fear of unknown, what's labor going to be like? Totally normal. Um, having panic attacks about it, not normal. Mm-hmm. And we can help you. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot you can do both nutritionally, having therapy, taking medications. There's a lot that we can do to support you. Yeah. A lot of tools, um, but these are critical windows of time that eating enough, having some nutrient density, if that's a struggle because you're having really bad morning sickness, making sure you're getting mm-hmm. that prenatal vitamin. Like there's mm-hmm. things that we can do to set you up for the healthiest shot at pregnancy, the healthiest baby and the healthiest postpartum, which is frankly, I mean, before I had kids, I thought the finish line was the baby. Yeah. You know, like 
oh, you know, mm-hmm. you read every book about pregnancy, read every book about labor and delivery. I read nothing about how to prepare for those next three months to a I year. Say the, the fourth trimester. Yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't prep the way I should have after my first and I had postpartum anxiety mm. and I did it very differently for my second and my third. And my experience was completely different. So wow. really nourishing the whole person is critical in my opinion. Yeah. I want to come back. I'm making a mental note telling you to, mm-hmm. to remind me as I do. I do want to come back to why should a woman who's maybe wants to get pregnant, but they're, it's yeah, also it's like a year or two off or yeah. Actually, let's talk about that now. And then we'll go back to what happens when somebody gets off birth control and mm-hmm. isn't okay. instructed how. So yeah. Why should somebody, we're, right. We're talking about, there's these critical periods of time, right. They're very critical for our health. So why should somebody even, you know, a woman in their twenties or thirties, who's not necessarily ready for pregnancy, why should they care about fertility? Because in their mind, right. In my mind, oh, fertility, yeah. fertility. I'm not, I'm not trying to get pregnant. So I don't, mm-hmm. why does that matter? So it's interesting. There's a push I'd say in the last five to 10 years to start calling your menstrual cycle, a vital sign. So, Oh yes, A vital sign. Like if you go to the doctor, they're looking at your heart rate. They're looking at how many times you breathe in a minute. They're looking at your blood pressure, right? Like we have these vital signs. You go to any hospital, they're checking all of them. They're checking your temperature Mm -hmm. or you have a hundred degree fever. Okay. That tells us something, right? Mm -hmm. Your menstrual cycle is a window into the overall health of the person that we're looking at. And actually we're starting to see that semen quality and sperm health is also a vital metric into a man's overall health. So it's not just the reproductive, you know, but I know your audience is mostly women. So let's talk about that. <laughs> we so, can t- it's su- yeah. <laughs> Caitlin and I were talking off before we hit record and I was like, we could talk about, we can talk about we're just going to have to right. have you back. That's okay. for sure. We can okay. totally do that. <laughs> or I have a podcast. It's called that Food too. Freedom Fertility. <laughs> and if you're interested in fertility, there are like 70 episodes right now that you can just go binge through. So. Yes. We'll definitely link to that. Actually, I hate that word. I'm sorry to even say it. <laughs> so your menstrual cycle is this vital sign. It tells us actually a lot. Like if you are, you know, you've probably been told you have a you know, a normal menstrual cycle is 28 days long. If you've heard the word ovulation before, you might've been told you ovulate around day 14 of your cycle. Okay. So that's a lot of times like what somebody may come into an appointment with me knowing, Mm -hmm. but if you are never bleeding, something's going on with your cycle, right? So something's going on with your hormones. If you're always bleeding, you spot two or three times in between your actual menstrual flow that tells us something. If you um, bleed regularly, but we can look at something called basal body temperatures, where you take your temperature in the morning every day, and we never see a thermal shift that would happen at ovulation. I can tell you very confidently, you don't need to go to the doctor. I don't need any blood tests to tell you that period that you're having that bleed is not because of ovulation. So like in the anatomy of a menstrual cycle, The main event of the menstrual cycle is actually ovulation. We all think the main event is your period because that's what we have to deal with, right? (laughs) Yeah. But but a true period doesn't happen unless ovulation happens. And the whole kind of like hormonal cascade and symphony that happens, which is so beautiful, leads to ovulation. Mm -hmm. And then you have this egg that gets ovulated. Something gets left behind in your ovary called the corpus luteum. And that becomes a temporary endocrine organ. An endocrine organ is something that creates hormones. It's like every month you get a new organ in your body. It's It's amazing. It is amazing. It's a miracle, frankly. And it pulses out progesterone. And that does a lot of different things to your uterine lining. So every month you're ready to have a baby if you're trying to. And when it stops pulsing it out, your progesterone levels drop. So do your estrogen levels and you have a menstrual period. So learning about your cycle, how many days you bleed, is the blood bright red? Is it brown? Is it kind of like a very clotted? You see a lot of clots coming out. If you never get something called cervical mucus and it doesn't change throughout your cycle, those things all tell me something about your cycle and they can tell you something about your cycle. So side note, do you have any favorite apps or ways that 
Yes. Woman Fer- can track fertility her. friend is one that I really like. Um, so there's a million apps. What I like about a few that I use, and I should open up my phone so I can tell you a few more, is that what we want to do is create body literacy that you understand what's going on. We don't just want an app to tell you, you probably ovulated on this. Yes. Body literacy. We're quoting that. That's so good. So um, read your body is one that I really like that promotes learning about it. And you can turn off things like ovulation prediction, Mm -hmm. because we've seen studies on a lot of these period apps that they're calculating a day that they think you're ovulating and more than like 85% of the time they're wrong. Wow. And it's usually based on an algorithm that you typically ovulate about two weeks before the end of your period. So if you track your period for a number, your whole cycle, when your period starts, when it ends for a period of months, and we see Katie always has an average of about a 34 day cycle, the app's going to do a quick calculation. It's going to subtract 14 days and tell you that you usually ovulate around day 20. Well, but sometimes Katie ovulates on day 20 or uh, sometimes you get your period on day 28. Sometimes you get your period on day 38. So like sometimes you ovulate around day 14 and sometimes you ovulate around day 24. And if you're not using barrier methods or other methods to prevent pregnancy, you can end up pregnant when you don't want to, or you could be timing sex and always be wrong Mm. of when you're most fertile. So we want to teach you how to understand your cycle. We don't just want to give you a good app to go to. It's like my fitness pal. You can put in all the numbers and things like that. But at the end of the day, an app doesn't know your body. An app doesn't know all of the things that are changing, no matter how Mm -hmm. much specifics you put into it. It's still an external metric. It can be a tool and in its effort to be a help, it can actually be a really huge barrier in whatever health goal that you have. Mm -hmm. I find with a lot of this like workout technology, health technology, so, so can, can I, one more, I want to add one more thing too. Yeah. talking about like the apps, what I can also see happen, you know, I'm thinking of me t- 10 years ago, if I was still stuck in, you know, this disordered eating, mm-hmm. I, and, and I got to that phase of life where I was ready to get pregnant. I could see a lot of those behaviors and mm-hmm. all or nothing Obsession mindsets, obsessions pulling yes. over into an app. Right. And I imagine yes. that frustration, like you mentioned, if if you're struggling to get pregnant and you're timing it around this app, that's wrong. Oh my gosh. A whole, Oh my gosh. Another mess. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So your question of why does it matter? Why do we care about fertility? So we see the menstrual cycle as kind of this fifth vital sign of what we should be looking at and asking women questions about and helping to screen for things. But because most of us at some point between the age of 14 and 20 got put on birth control, all we know is a specific time to bleed, a lot of um, hormonal symptoms like PMS, mood swings, tender breasts, those things tell us stuff about you and your hormones have been masked or turned off. Um, In some ways, that's a good thing. But in body literacy, you come off birth control thinking I'm going to get pregnant right away. And for a lot of people, that's not true. So. Seeing your cycle as an extension of your overall health mm-hmm. is important, whether you're trying to get pregnant or not, because it's going to set you up for a healthier perimenopause, the period of time when your body stops cycling. Mm-hmm. And then you go into menopause when you no longer cycle. It sets you up for healthier pregnancies. What if you are not ready to be pregnant, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world? right? Mm -hmm. Like if, if you were to get pregnant tomorrow, you'd figure it out, even though it might be not not be your plan. Right. So you want that oopsie baby to have the best chance at life too. And you want that pregnancy to be as healthy as possible. So it's not just about like fertility is when I'm ready to have baby. It's a window into your overall health. It supports your long-term health, like your blood pressure, your bone density, your chances of dementia later on, mm-hmm. your breast cancer risk, like those matter too. They probably don't matter in your mind when you're 24 as much as like feeling cute and right. what, the, you know, but they, the annoyance of having a period, but yeah. Yes. Right. But they, you know, the predictability of birth control, like I remember 
friends getting married around me. And it was like, they were just going to do one set of pills into the next so that they didn't have to bleed on their honeymoon. That's kind of nice, right? Like Mm -hmm. being able to predict, (laughs) predict and plan is kind of nice, but while it may have its benefits, it also has its drawbacks. So when we look at fertility, we're looking at if you're ovulating, if you could get pregnant, that tells us something about your health because evolutionarily, whether you believe in God setting this all up or we've changed over time, Mm -hmm. when famine strikes, when war strikes, when you need to migrate for the winter, whatever, over a great span of time, it was not optimal to be pregnant and carrying a baby. And so when major life stressors come, one of the first things our body does is kind of downshift our fertility in favor of keeping our heart pumping, in favor of holding on to extra weight to get us through a hard winter, not to support growing a life inside of us. So your fertility is actually one of the first things that goes when your body doesn't feel safe. And we see this a lot in people who have struggled with under eating or over exercising mm-hmm. in something called hypothalamic amenorrhea, where you were probably taught in school, you know, Olympic gymnasts don't get their period because they have really low body fat. Well, actually that can happen to you if you weigh 300 pounds or 100 pounds. If you're under eating for what your body needs or you're over exerting for the fuel your body has, your body's like, Hey, it's not safe to get pregnant. Turn that period off. I just had this conversation with a client the other day because she is currently living in a larger body. And we had this discussion about energy needs and what somebody, you know, around her current body size and history needs. She was mind blown. She could not imagine, right? Eating that much. There's this mindset. Yeah. That if I'm in this certain body size, well, then I must need less because I'm not at the weight that I air quotes should be. So Mm -hmm. thank you for pointing that out because I think that's just such a common, just misinformation. Well, and frankly, don't you see this? Um, I know that it's not always a weight goal when you're working with people. It's more of a improved relationship with food, but I see this in my work a lot. When we create safety for the body, when we fuel ourselves enough, when we eat to manage hormonal issues, weight loss is kind of a symptom of improved overall health versus weight loss happens because we've kind of forced it in this complicated calorie calculation. You know, I, I ate 500 less calories than I burned today. So in a week I should lose a pound. Well, I see people do that all the time and they're not losing weight. Right. So what's, you know, for me, my story into this, it didn't make sense with my exercise habits and my diet, why I had gained weight. Hormones mm-hmm. were a huge piece of this. And so for the community, I serve the, this message of lose weight and you'll ovulate and maybe you can have a baby or lose weight and you can come back and we'll give you medications to help you ovulate or you'll qualify for IVF is a really dangerous message because it's hard to lose weight with this condition. Yes. So we have to first help support your hormones to do what they need to do. And when I say hormones, I don't just mean progesterone and estrogen and testosterone. I mean, insulin, I mean, leptin and ghrelin and these things that help determine, are you hungry? Are you burning fuel? Like we need to control those aspects so that your body feels safe enough to X, Y, Z ovulate or lose weight. And I think just that shift, that sh- that shift in that mindset of what you said, I think our listeners probably resonate with that a lot, right? Because it's like, ultimately, it's not about the weight. It's about if I need to create a healthy environment for my body to reproduce. And like, that's going to be more when we focus on those things, the bigger, why the bigger, why, you know, mm-hmm. and then it, it removes this damaging message of you're a failure why can't you just follow this diet and lose mm-hmm. weight? So nobody has a perfect body right? and pregnancy doesn't require perfection. Okay. Like you can get pregnant. You know, we see it all the time. People that probably didn't mean to get pregnant and shouldn't have children get pregnant. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, we all know somebody. Yes. <laughs> I, well, and I met those babies in the NICU, mm-hmm. you know, in my yeah. rotations, mm-hmm. like I've seen that story pregnancy doesn't require perfection. And for some of us, it's harder to achieve. And so you get in that mindset that you think you have to do it 
all exactly right or it may not happen. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily true, but there are things you can do to create safety for your body. And let me tell you, it's not just your fertility that turns on, your self-esteem turns on, your independence turns on, your ability to feel good in this pair of pants because they feel good and not because they look a certain way turns on. And Mm -hmm. let me tell you, nobody cares what those pants look like on Mm -hmm. you. (laughs) Only you do. And so when you can create that kind of confidence or almost like invisibility where it's like, it doesn't matter anymore because I feel good. I have energy. I have a a bigger why it's that bigger why that gets you out of bed in the morning. Right. It's not to look great in those size six pants. And I'm, and I'm sure you probably see this a lot with the women that you work with as well is that understanding your body and understanding all these things that you're talking about. There's greater confidence in knowing that, you know, greater empowerment about deciding, making decisions about your health, because like you said, there's that, that big why, but also the understanding behind the why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. I think women, you know, we could have entire conversations on not getting the type of healthcare that we need. We could have entire conversations on the extra burdens we carry in even households. But you know what? Women are really strong and incredibly resilient. And what I love in my work is that every day I'm reminded of how powerful women are and how beautiful women are, even when they don't feel it. And Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of my job is to just hold a mirror up to somebody and say, look at you, girl. That gave me goosebumps. You thought you can't eat high protein breakfast because you hate eggs. And we found a way (laughs) and you just did it for a week. Like you're doing something for your health. Look at you. And like, I, I heard something a couple months ago that said little girls don't need you to tell them that you're proud of them. They need to to have you ask them, are you proud of yourself? Teach somebody to be proud of their own accomplishments and have that self-worth within themselves. It's also okay to say like, hey, you didn't want to pull your own pants up and get your pajamas on, but you did it. Do you feel proud of yourself? Yeah, mommy, I feel proud of myself. I'm really proud of you too. It's okay to underline that, but we need to draw out of women this kind of amazing for us to see ourselves in the amazing way that we've been created and what we can actually do and not be subject to like our worth being tied to looking a certain way Mm -hmm. or or seeking that external validation. Yes. Yeah. Like, girl, are you proud of yourself? Mm -hmm. And I've been utilizing that same thing with a lot of my clients, a lot of my course participants and it's almost like you can see this like flower blooming in front of you. It's like, wow, I actually, that was hard, but I did it. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that builds a mental strength to approach the next thing and go, Hey, I've done hard things. I've done really hard things in my life. And it has shown me that I can, I can handle what comes right. Yeah. I have a personal question I want to ask you, and I know you'll be okay with it because you're just the best. You work with a lot of women who are specifically struggling, right, with fertility. So, and I mm-hmm. see the posts that you you share, and we've talked. It you see a lot of gut wrenching, heart aching stories. So, mm-hmm. how do you kind of protect your space? Oh my god, as... I started therapy last year. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing about it is that I've walked it. Okay, mm-hmm. I never did yeah. IVF and it not work. I didn't have to walk that far into some of these fertility struggles. But I have seen my period come and cried myself. I, you know, like every time somebody gets a period because they've ovulated, it's like we cry happy tears because it's like, wow, you did it. Your body did it. And you have a better chance of getting pregnant. But it's sucky that you're not pregnant right now. Yeah. And I feel like it's probably one of my greatest strengths as a practitioner is that I am so invested in these families' journeys and these couples' mm-hmm. journeys and these women's journeys that I, it, you can hear the passion in my voice. Like it's what Mm -hmm. I, outside of being a mom and a wife and loving God, like there's nothing more powerful than empowering women to be able to become moms, but it's hard. It's, I read stories that make me cry and I've had to like figure out how to, because I don't have a commute home anymore. I walk upstairs to my family. Like, how do I separate? How do I shut it down? 
pause, close it. Yeah. I don't have the answer. I don't, I can't completely. Sometimes I don't sleep at night because I'm thinking about a client and what we need Mm -hmm. to do, or how can we change or asking God to give me wisdom for what we can do differently because these things that normally work haven't worked. And I have a really high success rate with people. And yet I have to approach each person as like this individual case. And I can't just do what I did with somebody else because it worked in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, But that is something that I have found my stress levels and anxiety has increased the more clients I've taken on because I feel like I kind of take on their story a little bit. And so I had to start therapy. (laughs) Go have somebody to talk to about it and start saying like, okay, the success of this particular cycle of theirs cannot dictate my energy levels or happiness or, you know, like I, right. and I still we have want to take away to the, the next client. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't have a perfect answer. It's hard. It's emotional work, but a lot of what I do is not just teaching them what to do is paint a hopeful picture for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I appreciate too, that you said like prayer and such that's something that I've been trying to be more, regular about is like doing Mm -hmm. some type of devotional and tying that into my work of Mm -hmm. like taking a moment to be like, Lord, give me the wisdom today to know what to say or Mm -hmm. to make the decision or to Mm -hmm. whatever it is. So I, somebody, somebody last year named their baby Caitlin because they were like, I would not have had a baby without it. And it inspired me that I, so I have a board on the other side of my, my office where I'm asking my clients or my course participants to send me pictures of their baby bumps or send me pictures of their babies so that I'm reminded to continue praying for them. Mm -hmm. Because like for me, there are some people in my story that were so critically important to me being who I am today. Yeah, My midwives that helped me deliver my babies, like I left them in California and moved and had another baby in Kansas and they didn't help me bring this next baby earth side. And it Mm -hmm. was hard for me. Mm -hmm. They're like my people. And I know that I'm that person to somebody. And I take that responsibility very, like it's, I don't even have words for it. It's it's lost on me what, what I can help and offer. Yeah. And I'm not God, like I, right, right, right. but it's been an interesting thing. So on one side of my wall, I have people that I'm working with and my course or one-on-one clients that are not yet pregnant that I pray for. Mm -hmm. And then I have the success stories that their journey just started. Right. Like, yeah. Just like we talked about. Yeah. So I continue to pray for them and, you know, not everybody that I work with is welcoming of that clients, uh, colleagues, both. There've been some people that are like, you know, it turns me off to want to work with you because you tell them you've said on social media that you pray for your clients. And I'm like, okay, great. Go find somebody else. Get out of the car. That's what <laughs> but I you know what? I have some, <laughs> um, I have a Buddhist client that got pregnant last year that like we would talk and I would be like, Hey, I'm praying for you in this cycle. And she's like, thank you. Keep it up. Aww. I know somebody's listening, you know? So some people are actually really yeah. welcoming of it, no matter their faith or belief. But I think, you know, on your deathbed and when you're trying to bring life into the world, whether it's fertility or labor and delivery, you beat God in a different way than you do in your day-to-day living where you realize that you need to draw on a strength that is not your own at times. And um, so actually my work has opened some pretty wonderful doors to just speak life into people and Mm -hmm. share the gospel. So I don't know where I heard it, but I love the quote or the saying of, you know, work like it depends on you, but pray like it depends on God. It's like, yes, that is, I love that. You know, I grew up a pastor's daughter and thought like, I need to marry a pastor and this is how I'm going to like, this is success in life and helping people. And I help people in a different way every single day, but I am privileged to continue a walk with the Lord and see open doors to you know, what, whatever way I can serve. Um, but what I am called to and what I'm passionate about is helping people grow their families. Well, Caitlin, you're freaking amazing. I have to cut us off. I know you just keep talking forever. We'll come back to the, um, how do you get off birth control some other day? (laughs) (laughs) We had that, but yes, we'll have to have you back cliff cliffhanger. Come back next month. So tell our audience, where can they find you? Where can they listen to your podcast and connect? Because also I should add, Everyone needs to follow you on Instagram because you are no filter when we're talking about these things. Mm -hmm. And I so appreciate that because you just, 
you have the conversations yeah. and you normalize it and it's so important and we need to have yeah. these conversations. You don't need to be um, embarrassed about cervical mucus. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> like you need somebody telling you that when you're like investigating what's on the toilet. Paper. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So PCOS fertility nutrition is my Instagram handle. Don't follow me on Twitter. Cause I just make Twitter posts to feed my Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> Same. but you can find that handle on my Instagram. My website is PCOSfertilitynutrition.com and I have a podcast that I co-host with an awesome functional medicine dietitian, just like myself. She's funny. I'm compassionate. We're a good mixture. <laughs> like she, she keeps it entertaining and I keep it close to the heart and a there's a lot blend. of science in the middle. Um, yeah. So that's called food freedom fertility. And we talk ourselves, we interview experts, we try to distill it down to actionable steps. And it's not just like, here's a statistic. It's like, okay, what do you do with that? Yeah. Now what, what can I do in my life? So, um, we have fun, we laugh, we cry. It's a privilege to be able to serve in that way. And we get messages every day, like from following our Instagram or listening to our podcast, people feel like we've been instrumental in helping them get pregnant. And I love that we have a free outlet to serve. So Mm -hmm, that's, mm -hmm. um, those are the places to find me. We'll be sure to link to all those in the show notes again. Caitlin, thank yeah, you so much. You. Love Thanks you. For, I love best. hanging out with you. It's the best. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. If you like this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fit Friends Happy Hour. Talk to you next time.